Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. Thank you for joining us today at the Biblical Foundations podcast. Here with me is Dr. Andreas Kostenberger, the director for the Center for Biblical Studies and founder of Biblical Foundations. Today, our guest is Dr. Craig Keener. Dr. Keener is a PhD from Duke University and is FM and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's written many commentaries on Matthew, John, Acts, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, and most recently is the author of a book on the genre of the Gospels titled Christobiography, published by Ian Mintz. Dr. Keener, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's, it's a great privilege for me to be with you. Well, Craig, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled as well that we can have this conversation. I'm sure our listeners will greatly benefit. I've, uh, as you know, enjoyed intersecting with you in various capacities over the years. And, and while we agree on a lot of things, sometimes we don't, but I've always appreciated your ironic spirit. And, and there's no doubt that you're one of the very few evangelical scholars who have earned the respect of not only the evangelical uh, community, but of, of more critical scholars as well. Uh, and, uh, of course, you've, you've written so widely. We could talk about all kinds of things. But for now, let's turn to your latest book on the genre of the Gospels. Uh, tremendous work. Uh, for starters, uh, could you please explain the title, um, which you may have coined, uh, Christobiography, and, and tell us who the primary audience of your book is? And as you do so, maybe you can also explain why you say in your preface that, uh, contrary to what the subtitle, Memory History and the Reliability of the Gospels may suggest, your work is is only a, a preliminary work, a prolegomenon about the reliability of the Gospels rather than an actual demonstration of it. Sure. Um, the, the title Christobiography has to do with the, the idea that the Gospels are ancient biographies, but of course they're very particular kind of ancient biography. They're a biography about Christ. And so, you know, before, before Jesus came, nobody had written um, biography about about the, the Messiah. Um, nobody had written. Uh, well, some people have argued that there were biographies of divine men before that, but that's really questionable. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's it's a new kind of biography in the sense that it's um, about the kind of person that is unique. Mm -hmm. But you know, when people would first get a hold of the Gospels especially the first gospel, and they didn't have a category of gospels to put them in. This was a biography, um, and yeah, biography about Christ, so Christobiography. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, the closest analogy we have in terms of the, the different genres or kinds of writings that, that existed at the time was a biography. Is in terms of the audience, um, I tried to write it in such a way that I could welcome a broader audience, but in particular, I'm addressing it to the academy mm -hmm. and and trying to um, so often scholars uh, in the in the broader academy, uh, not not evangelicals, but in the broader academy, so often scholars have started with a skeptical premise towards the gospels. It's mm -hmm. like, well, 
if we can prove it by multiple sources or if we can you know, make this argument or that argument, then we may argue that something is probably reliable and otherwise we won't accept it. But I think that the default expectation, simply based on the way that we would treat analogous kinds of works, analogous biographies in antiquity, should be to accept that it's reliable unless we have reason to argue otherwise. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, because I believe it's inspired, I believe it's the word of God, I'm going to accept more of it than that. But in terms of making an argument for the wider academy to say, you know, even using the basic historical approach that is normally used with other ancient documents, why would we why would we not use that with the Gospels? We have really good reason to accept that they teach us a whole lot of information about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very helpful, I think, for our listeners to understand that maybe for them, you know, they may feel like, well, they would grant you that premise without much, you know, further demonstration, but but you're not necessarily directly writing for, you know, more Bible-believing audience, you're in part trying to make a case for maybe more critical scholars in the academy that that um, the Gospels are more grounded in actual history and, and historically accurate memory than than these critical scholars might often suppose. Um, yes, and the, the the part about your work being really only a prolegomenon uh, to the reliability of the Gospels rather than actually being the primary focus of it? Yes. Yeah, because I could, I mean, I could go into the Gospels and give more illustrations of how this works or um, give further arguments for it. I did I did some of that in mm -hmm. Historical Jesus of the Gospels, right. uh, which was, right. I think, 2009 is when that came out. Um, but, but this is more just to lay the groundwork and say, look, just based on what we know about the Gospels, what should be our a priori stance mm -hmm. towards, what should be our, our starting premise towards them? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there were any other work in antiquity, sometimes people say, you know, you evangelical scholars, you have a canonical bias. You just accept it because it's canonical. Mm -hmm. And my response to that would be, actually, you know, if we treat it the way we would treat any other um, work from antiquity, that's a biography, that's this particular kind of biography, we would we would respect it much more than most New Testament scholars do. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what we often are dealing with is an anti-canonical bias on the on the part of many scholars mm -hmm. who are like bending backwards to say, no, 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 we're we're not accepting this on faith. We are being very, very critical. Well, I think they're often being too critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, clearly I think uh, there's abundant uh, scholarship to support the notion that genre is 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 very important in interpretation. I think Probably for our discussion here, a good uh, point of departure would be the well-known work by Richard Burridge, uh, What are the Gospels? Um, and I think certainly ever since then, and I know there were earlier works, it seems there's broad consensus that the genre of the Gospels is that of biography, which um, one may define simply as an account of the life of a person from birth to death. Uh, 
Maybe you could explain to our listeners why is there such a widespread consensus uh, that the genre of the Gospels is biography, even before you wrote your work, and and can you unpack a bit what the implications are of viewing the Gospels as biographies? Sure. If you if you uh, if you're categorizing works based on what kind of work they are. There were a number of different ancient genres that, that were viewed as discrete genres, not to say there's no overlap among them, but um, they did have novels. Uh, they, novels were not nearly as common as some other genres, but there, there were some novels. Um, novels were usually romances, uh, which is not, uh, obviously the Gospels don't fit that. Um, and Usually they were not about historical characters, but when they were, they were about characters who lived many centuries earlier. So again, it's not something that fits the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, you you also had uh, drama, but normally that was in poetic form, which is, again, not, not like the Gospels. Mm-hmm. You had epics, which were normally in poetic form. But you also had histories. Histories were often many volumes, but you could have a historical monograph that was one volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you had a his- historical monograph that was about a particular person, normally that would be called a biography. And so, you know, uh, Richard Burridge actually goes into detail on a number of points showing comparisons between uh, the Gospels and ancient biography. But most fundamentally, if you've got a work about a particular historical person um, and it's not a novel, um, especially if it's about a recent historical person, which no novels that I know of in antiquity were, the only the only genre that is, that actually fits in terms of ancient genres is biography. Hmm. Now, that's significant for the Gospels. And it's significant for the historical reliability of the Gospels. I mean, you, you can look at it from a literary perspective, but in terms of a historical perspective, mm-hmm. it's significant because it's often not taken into account by scholars. But biography was a historical genre, mm-hmm. and especially in this period. You know, biographies, mm-hmm. d- different uh, kinds of writing, they evolve over time. So you had what were called what we might call protobiographies, maybe half a millennium uh, or 400 years before the Gospels were written, um, something like a funeral eulogy over somebody, except they were still they could still be alive. <laughs> uh, biographies mm-hmm. started out kind of that way, and when you get to late antiquity, a few hundred years after the Gospels, mm-hmm. you you have more hagiography, where it's like yeah. lives of saints or famous philosophers or something. But the period around the first century, Mm -hmm. uh, starting with the first century BC, with um, a Roman biographer by the name of Cornelius Nepos, uh, at least that early, and going to the early third century AD, uh, Diogenes Laertius, Mm -hmm. the, the period in between there is the pinnacle of historical reliability in ancient biographies. And we can actually show that by comparing them with their sources or with parallel biographies, that they're not just making things up, but they're reporting events that they actually believe to be accurate. And 
particularly when they're writing shortly after the events that they narrate. Like, you know, we have a lot of biographies back then that historians today have to depend on greatly mm -hmm. that are about figures who lived centuries earlier. But in the case of the Gospels, these are among the very few ancient biographies written within a generation or two of the figure that they describe. And so, you know, the, these, um, based on the genre, based on mm -hmm. them being uh, within living memory of the, of the person about whom they're writing, a living memory being the period in which um, eyewitnesses were alive or those who yes. knew, knew the eyewitnesses were alive, mm -hmm. we have really good reason to expect the Gospels to be excellent historical sources about Jesus. And therefore, you know, just from a purely historiographic standpoint, mm -hmm. scholars ought to uh, accept, is a default setting, accept yes. the Gospels as genuine testimony about Jesus. Well, that's that's such an excellent and, and, and very important point in terms of default expectations. And as you know, uh, historical critics have often had the diametrically opposite default expectations. So I can see how that that would be a very crucial point in certainly engaging some of those more skeptical or or critical scholars. Uh, Craig, I don't know if you ever run into those kinds of people, but I once had a student in one of my PhD seminars who actually adamantly denied uh, the whole notion of genre as such, uh, he argued, this is just an anachronistic, you know, uh, imposition, you know, back onto those documents, and we ought to just drop the whole notion of genre altogether. I, I doubt there's many in our audience who hold that view, but can we maybe just take a moment to to defend the notion of genre and why it is appropriate to speak of a gospel of genre in the first place? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have to take into account genre when we when we read any kind of work. I mean, if I if I read a work of science fiction and think it's history, well, that's going to be mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, or, or 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 vice versa. Um, you know, when we read the Psalms, we take into account that they're Hebrew poetry mm -hmm. and Hebrew poetry is written differently than than historical narrative. Um, mm -hmm. The poetic license, the poetic uh, imagery, uh, symbolic imagery, very, very different than what you have in historical work. Um, historical work is going to be making a different point than a novel. I mean, both may be engaging reading, but one is based on information. The other, the person has pretty much a free hand in what they, they want to write. Um, the book of Revelation, obviously, is written very mm -hmm. differently than, say, the the letter of James or or something like that. So it's important to take into account um, because it sets kind of a default setting for how we're going to read a particular work. I, I had a I had a, a student one time who who was um, saying no, you know, because everything's inspired, the writers didn't use sources. They didn't need sources. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. I mean I in principle, of course, I agree the Holy Spirit could inspire you without needing any sources. I mean, Elisha could could say what the uh, Aramean king was doing in his bedroom. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I mean, Luke mentions sources in Luke chapter 1. 
And um, often Kings mentions the, the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel and, and yeah. Chronicles mentions the, uh, the books, uh, the uh, annals of the Kings of, of Israel. They're not referring to each other, but to um, uh, earlier works or, or the book of Jashar, which we don't have yeah. uh, is, is referred to in the old Testament. So, I mean, the Bible itself refers to having sources, and, mm-hmm. um, and ancient writers also took into account genres. So you, you have, even in, in basic elementary education, they would start teaching people about different genres and then um, different literary genres, and history was one of those. Um, poetry, epic poetry was another, and then at a more advanced level, they would talk about um in sometimes more detailed genres. Sometimes they even divided different kinds of poetry. Hmm. So the idea of genre, it's not mm-hmm. anachronistic. It's not a new idea. It's yeah. something that's been around yeah. for a long time. Wonderful. And I, I guess, you know, especially for uh, someone like that former student of mine who is either, you know, agnostic or even antagonistic toward the, the notion of genre, I mean, they ought to read your book because you're obviously – you know, if, if his concern is that genre is some sort of a narrow straitjacket you, you impose, I mean, they they would find that you're very uh, open to diversity and, and fluidity uh, even within a given genre, and and you're you're going to great lengths to, to to show you know with great sophistication that 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 we're not just talking about some sort of a of a narrow category that that you then you know press a given work into. Looking at your book more specifically now, um, in your introduction, you say that uh, we can know more about Jesus than we think, yet less than we want. Uh, can you explain what, uh, what you mean by that? Sure. In terms of um, more than we think, you know, if you look at critical scholarship, often there's, you can come up with a fairly good outline of of a number of things that Critical scholars generally think we know about Jesus, but when it comes down to details like like the particular events, like Jesus heals Bartimaeus of blindness or um, cleanses the leper in Mark chapter 1 or so on, uh, they don't want to go often into those kind of details. But you know, given the genre of ancient biography, we should expect that those particular events also are authentic. So we actually know quite a bit more about Jesus than critical scholars often assume. At the same time, I think most of us would would really like to know more. <laughs> We'd like to know more details. Uh, but, you know, uh-huh. the nature of ancient biography wasn't meant to be comprehensive, to say everything that could possibly be known. Um, John says that the world itself couldn't contain all the books that would be written. I'd sure like to have access oh. to some more of those. Um, and in yes. fact, you know, Luke Luke speaks of many sources that were available. Um, most of us think that Mark was one of Luke's right. sources, that that um, Luke mm-hmm. had access to another source that uh, Matthew also depends on. Uh, but, you know, Luke speaks of mm-hmm. many. And I'm sure most of us would love to have some of those other sources, um, maybe, you know, the Lord in his providence knew that they aren't inspired. They're not going to give us what we need. But, um, but you know, later on, you have things that are called gospels. 
but they're they're way later. I mean, they're not within living memory. So the other kinds of what people often call gospels or lost gospels really don't give us much. Mm. So, you know, what what we have is what we get from that four that we we have. Yeah, I think that's actually a very important point. You make that in your book. You say that we have no other first century biographies of Jesus besides the four canonical Gospels. Um, you know, we have other first century biographies, of course, um, but the only first century biographies of Jesus that we have are our four New Testament Gospels. And as you mentioned, any other so-called Gospels, which often is a is a tenuous, uh, you know, yes. label in any case, they're second uh, century or later. And and as you know, they often don't have yes. a narrative framework, uh, such as the Gospel of Thomas, which is simply a list of alleged sayings of Jesus. So really, uh, in that sense, the the Gospels are unique and are by far our best sources. I try to uh, make that same point in a popular book of mine that's about to come out, The Jesus of the Gospels. In terms of what kind of bi biographies the New Testament Gospels are, you say at the end of chapter one in your book that the Gospels are biographies of a recent figure composed in the early Roman Empire and like most other full biographies from this period on the historiographic end of the genre, broadly defined. Uh, what do you mean by that? Also, in relation to this, what are some classification schemes people have used to catalog different types of ancient biographies, and uh, where do the New Testament Gospels fall on this spectrum? Some have have classified biographies in terms of whether they are primarily topical or chronological. Um, some have mm. classified them in terms of um, what their their focus or emphasis is. And I think, you know, those are legitimate ways to classify it. It depends on what your objective is. But if if what you're looking for is how helpful they are for uh, historical information, then it seems to me that the, the most important places to look, first of all, when we look at the development of ancient biography, this uh, in this period, we have the, the apex of historical reliability. So um, Cornelius Nepos, he was sloppy, <laughs> but uh, he's writing in the first century BC, just mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the Roman Republic before the uh, the Emperor Augustus um, establishes what we call the, the Roman Empire. Um, he's, he's sloppy, but he he's depending on actual events. And uh, when you get to the first century, you have uh, Nicolaus of Damascus. Now, his problem is he's writing about Augustus when Augustus is emperor, so he has to be very, uh, well, he has to be very mm. nice, otherwise, you know, you get executed or exiled like Ovid did. <laughs> so mm. he, you know, that that's the, he's writing a little bit too close in time, um, but uh, again, he's he's depending on events. You also have Josephus in his autobiography. You have uh, Philo of Alexandria. He's writing about distant past, but he's uh, he's basing it on real sources. He's writing about Moses. And so he's got two sections of that. Uh, his first book is mainly chronologically arranged. His second book about Moses is mainly topically arranged. But, you know, he's he's 
he's depending on events that are actually in his his source in the Bible and in uh, some subsequent Jewish tradition. When you get to um, Tacitus and Suetonius and Plutarch writing in the early second century, they they are if you if you compare their overlap, they're depending on the same historical material that that is they're um, they're reporting actual events. They're not making up events. So they may have their own perspectives on them. Uh, Suetonius may think something is bad that Plutarch thinks is good or or whatever, but they're not making up events. And so, you know, when we look at the Gospels, <clears throat> the Gospels are from this period. Now, uh, the Gospels are about a recent figure. So within living memory, uh, living memory is usually defined by mm -hmm. oral historians as the period within which eyewitnesses are alive or those who knew them are alive, which means, um, mm -hmm. well, certainly that covers any of, any of the first century Gospels. By the time you get to the earliest usual right. dating of the Gospel of Thomas, which is the earliest of the non-canonical Gospels, you're way beyond the period of living memory. Um, mm -hmm. And usually the mm -hmm. the earliest people date it um, who who aren't arguing for a, a source for Thomas, but Thomas itself, usually it's around 140. So that's like well over 100 years after Jesus' public ministry. Right. Um, so uh, some of the some of the works like um, Arian is writing in the late second century. He's writing a biography about Alexander the Great, who died in 323 BC. So, you know, half a millennium or, or 400 years, at least, after Alexander the Great died, whereas most critical scholars date Mark around 40 years after Jesus' public ministry. Uh -huh. um, and yet Arian's work on Alexander is usually considered our, our best surviving biography of Alexander the Great. Uh -huh. um, why, why would people not right. trust the Gospel of Mark? And then uh, is another factor uh, in that quotation I mentioned, full biographies. You do have some earlier things called the lives of the poets that are often considered to be somewhat fanciful, but these are really a different genre of lives than what we have with full biographies, like the ones I've been mentioning, some of them are only a paragraph long mm -hmm. or a couple paragraphs long. And by the time we right. get to um, the period of the early empire, the time of the gospels, when you have something like um, Suetonius, when he writes lives of poets, he, he will often say, you know, this was often said, or, you know, so-and-so said, so he's citing sources. Mm -hmm. He's depending on sources. He, so even there, he's not making things up. So based on all these kinds of evidence, mm -hmm. we have really good reason to to trust the Gospels as historical sources. Excellent. Uh, Craig, let's uh, explore for a minute briefly. Uh, mentioned canonical before. And of course, um, as, as everyone knows, the, the, the Gospels in, in the New Testament frequently cite the Old Testament. So uh, I've got a quote here from page 28 of your book where you say, 
that biography offers the closest analogy or genre for the Gospels does not mean that the evangelists added nothing distinctive to the traditional wider genre of biography. There's little doubt, in fact, yes. that they did. Like other Jewish biographies with a diaspora audience, they inhabit a world in continuity with ancient Israel's biblical heritage. Not I think that's that's very important. So in what sense does this continuity with Old Testament historical narratives, uh, whether you know Genesis or Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, require us to modify the, the gospel's genre classification as biography, or does it? Well, you do have um, you do have historical narratives in the Old Testament that deal with particular historical figures like Ruth or or Esther, or Daniel, and of course you have material about particular figures that dominates in certain works. I mean, you've got in in Samuel through Kings, you've got a number of figures that are highlighted, particularly Samuel, Saul, David, and and so forth. So mm-hmm. that isn't isn't really um, something new in terms of Israel's history. They they took over uh, a, a kind of a Greco-Roman genre, so it would be something recognizable in the diaspora. And that was common for other Jewish authors, too. I I mentioned earlier Philo, um, Josephus does it. But Philo and Josephus, being Jewish, are very rooted in the Old Testament. Some scholars have pointed out that they use particular uh, widespread biographic motifs in uh, in how they frame the lives of the, the stories of those in the Old Testament, like Josephus and his antiquities and so on. So, so you're writing for a particular kind of audience, but theologically, you're, you're also writing with, a, with a, a view towards continuity with what God has done before. Um, John, John's gospel, mm-hmm. you know, biography is often open with a person's birth. Uh, John goes much further back because he's speaking of, <laughs> of the word. and uh, I th- I think even when he's talking about the word, he's actually encompassing the whole of of scripture because uh, when when Jewish people mm-hmm. thought of the word, and I know there are a lot of other um, nuances to this in terms of um, the mm-hmm. philosoph- how the philosophers thought of it, how how Philo thought of it, but in particular, Jewish okay. people thought of the word as the scripture, <laughs> and so here we have the the same word that's been embodied, in a sense, in God's revelation through the scriptures and God's uh, revelation through the Torah he gave on Mount Sinai, uh, full of of chesed uh, ve'emet, uh, full of covenant love and covenant faithfulness, full of grace and truth, to put it in, a, mm-hmm. in, in John's way. John speaks of that uh, becoming flesh, and so now we get this full revelation of God, um, and, and we could go on with that, but... Um, uh, Luke also, I think, sees his work as in continuity with the Old Testament. So, you know, he's got the two volumes, the first one about Jesus, the second one about how the mission continues to go forth. But all these uh, scriptures he quotes from the Old Testament show that he's building on a story that was already going on and is uh, is now unfolding according to what had already been prophesied in advance. So. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think the the allusions to the Old Testament show this as 
climaxing and continuing this salvation historical narrative of Scripture. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations podcast.